0: Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, along with Iroh Work, talking about money and investing. I had uh, somebody was asking a question this week about something to one of the other advisors, and they were talking about none other than do I, yeah, do I, yeah. I'll bring up Peter Schiff. You know, you know, what I'm talking about Peter Schiff.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So he's like always telling you where the sky's is going to fall, and and you know how terrible things are, and all of that, and and she says what. <laughs> You know, have you done any segments about this? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you got to have gold. The sky is going to fall. The market's going to be destroyed. Well, I actually went back, you know, because it was in March of 2020, you know, that there was something that this is it. And I forgot what it was. It was CNBC. It was, you know, yeah, you know exactly, right? It was with COVID. And you know, this is it, this is what I've been waiting for. And he just jumps on it in this particular article, I think it was CNBC. I need to find the article dog on it. But um, I I was looking back at what would have happened had you actually listened to the advice. Because here's in essence what the deal is. When you have, if you look at out there in the marketplace, there are a lot of people, and I don't, you know, it doesn't even matter the name. It doesn't even matter who we're talking about. In general, you will find that there are people out there that will tell you all kinds of things about what's going to happen next and where things are going to go. And their motivation is run with it, Ira. Uh
1: run their with motivation their motivation is for telling you what's money. gonna happen. Uh because they, they actually bet against you. They're what you know, in the marketplace we call them short sellers. So they're gonna sell something and then they're they're selling it at a price, and if they can be negative about and cause people to sell then and drive the price down, they can then buy it back at a lower price. That um, would be one reason to do it, no question you know, about it. It's all about money. Just, yeah. It's all about money. And quite often what happens
0: is if you look at, like, and, you know, he, he did that in 2008 as well. Now, here's one. Uh, Peter Schiff, U.S. is in a financial crisis worse than – then, uh, oh, this was referring to 08 was what it was. Okay, so this was, oh, this is just before the market actually went up. Oh, forget it. I'm, I'm going to go do another one. Uh, there was, <laughs> <laughs> it's a crisis worse than anything else. Uh, and you see this stuff. You know, if you go out there and you put, you want to put name of the person and then put bad calls after that on a, on a, uh, on a search engine, you're going to see a lot of people just discrediting these people. But literally what happens if they can get it right, they ha- they can make a name for themselves. There was a guy I remember calling the 1987 downturn and he called the 2000 2002 downturn, uh, called the 2008 downturn. And I, I think that was it. Those are the three big ones as I recall this. I'm just doing this from memory. I don't remember the guy's name, so that's probably good. But he was talking about this downturn, this time, I called this one. I called this one. I called this one. Well, what we did is we actually looked at the return of the person and looked at the return of their portfolio that they managed because it was public record. And it was way lower than the market. And you go, well, how is that possible? This guy called the biggest downturns literally the past 30 years, you know, 40 years. How is it that this person had a return that was lower in the market? It's because they missed, upturns, missed the upturns as well. He may have drunk his own Kool Aid and gotten out, and then the market does go down. But the problem is, you got to be right twice. You got to be right when you get out, and you got to be right when
1: you get back in. All right, so I started this business in 1984, March of 1984, mm-hmm. and. I don't remember anybody speaking so loud prior to 1987 to call the 1987 correction or downturn that his name stands out. Now, I see a lot of news articles I talk about. I called this when I called that when I Mm -hmm. called this, but nobody stands out that I heard them. So I can go back and I can look at all the downturns and say, well, I called this one, I called that one, I called this one. Oh, so you don't remember
0: their name from when they supposedly called it. No. Yeah, that's funny. That's interesting. Yeah. No. Yeah, it it, is funny. Like, well, wait a minute. How do I know you did? Yeah, you're right. You're a really good point. How do I know that you actually did?
1: And if he really was that convinced, did they sell every stock in their portfolio? I mean, that's
0: what they should have done. Yeah, I think in this research, Ira, I think in this particular case, this guy did call those, but- what they found in the research was that he didn't get back in on time and missed the upturns. So, so that-
1: all right. So, my question would be this if he really called the downturn, and let's say he did call the downturn, mm-hmm. is there any data to show that he sold 100%? Yeah, of I don't all, know. But think about that. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I know where you're going. Because if he didn't sell all the equities in his stock portfolio, yeah, then he really wasn't convinced Didn't really that he really it. was calling the downturn. He wasn't drinking all
0: the Kool Aid. He's just sipping on it just a little <laughs> bit. But you know, the all the you know this tastes good, but I don't think I'm gonna drink it all. No, you're right. Exactly. Put your money with your, where your mouth is. Right. And uh, and actually do it. But you know, a lot of times what they're doing is they're playing with your money. But they're not necessarily and you know you look at the big hedge funds you know, like these they're managing these monstrosity portfolios only for rich people mm-hmm. and i'll never forget teaching a workshop and this guy comes up to me and says, i'm investing in hedge funds and i'm like going ooh la la <laughs> and i said oh that's nice and he goes yeah this and, and you know why is that a big deal well it's because you have to have quite a bit in assets to actually invest in these things Because as I often jokingly, but not jokingly say, to invest in a hedge fund, the government deems that you must be rich enough that if you lose a bunch of money, it's not a big deal. I mean, that's literally what it gets down to. So if you look at who fell for Bernie Madoff, it was primarily hedge funds. A lot of the hedge funds and, and wealthy investors are who fell because Madoff didn't go after small money. He went after the big money. And what happens with hedge funds, there are two things you run into. You have survivorship bias is one of the things that we teach. And, you know, when you look at data and go, why do you know, you guys are talking about this market timing and all these huge fund companies that everybody knows the names of the fund companies when I name them. And, you know, when you look out on the websites, I have videos where you literally go out the biggest investment management firms, period, end of sentence. And they talk about active management on their websites, stock picking and market timing and use of past performance in selling mutual funds and investments. If this stuff is so bad, Paul, why don't we see it everywhere? And there's something called survivorship bias. Mark Carhart was a USC professor. And he said, I'm gonna investigate this. And that's what he did. He looked back at the database and actually looked at funds that were closed. Now, what happens when you run a mutual fund company and you have a bunch of losers? If you have a bunch of losers, if you have any intelligence whatsoever, you shut them down. You shut those funds down. You get rid of their bad performance because they're making you look bad. It's like a teacher going, I, you know, I got these D&F students. If I could just like shove them off into you know somebody else's classroom, that would be great. Well, that's kind of what they're doing with these mutual funds. And when you do that, you get rid of the bad returns from the record. When you get rid of the funds from the from the record, all of a sudden your average performance comes up, and then you can advertise that, and people go, wow, this must be a really good mutual fund company. They, Oh, wow. Now, how often do you actually see somebody that uses GIPs auditing,
1: global investment performance standards, Ira? Less than 10% of the registered investment advisory firms and actually have tips ordering of their funds.
0: I would be shocked that it's even 10. I said less than. I Yeah, I would be shocked that it would be even close to 10. Yeah. You know, because I've never seen it, ever. No, I haven't either. You know, I've seen, well, one. I mean, you know, there, there's there's one, there, there are a couple companies I've seen that, that have actually done it. And one, it's interesting they do it, and the performance is terrible because mm. they're active managers. Right. And they're huge. They're one of the biggest. But, uh, you know, but anyway, so what happens is this. Active management, it goes under the radar because of this survivorship bias that I've been talking about. That's one thing. Now, hedge funds, they got another thing going for them. Now, mutual funds and, and regular investment firms, survivorship bias. You know, it's like when I worked for an investment firm, basically what we did is they would say, hey, recommend this, 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 and this. And then when the funds failed, we just stopped recommending them.
1: And it shifts into something else. And you move it to something
0: else. And then, then the performance history of that thing is gone then you can say, hey, this is what we're recommending. And look, this is the past 10 years of what this has done. It's really pretty deceptive. Now, hedge funds, they they take the deception even a step further. And they do something called reporting bias. You know, uh, Johnny, Susie, and Mikey, you know, your grades weren't so good. So guess what? We're just not going to report them. (laughs) We're just not going to put that information in the data. And that way, we don't look bad. And that's exactly what they do. They don't even report their returns if they're bad. And I explained this to this guy. You know what he did? He dropped everything. He says, you know what, Paul? I've got to listen to what you have to say. No, he didn't do anything. (laughs) A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Mason, just remember that, man. It's just the way it works. That's life, buddy. <laughs> I'll definitely keep that in mind for sure. Yeah, it's just, well, it's so true. I mean, it's like we we get it. Um, what happens psychologically? If I have an idea, I have ownership of that idea and my self-worth is wrapped up in that idea. So quite often what you'll do in counseling, for example, is I want to get the idea to come from you. If I get you to tell me, you know what? Uh, what you think you ought to do to solve your problem, then you own it. You're going to do it, and that is the 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 problem. And you know, so often what we'll do is we'll just throw stuff out here. You know, I'll I'll throw stuff out here and just hope that it lands enough lands. But if it doesn't land, there's nothing I can do about it. And it's just the reality of it. It, it is hard to own something that you didn't come up with. But this guy just did not own the idea that, you know, hedge funds were a really bad idea. Uh, Options investing is a really bad idea. I saw the TV commercial at three o'clock in the morning. What are you doing at three o'clock in the morning? I can't sleep. Why? Because my investments are doing so bad, I can't sleep. And then what happens is you end up uh, falling for things like that. Options investing. Currencies, another one. Uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, buying into the, the Bitcoin, which is, you know, gold. I'm going to buy invest in I'm going to invest in gold. Why? Because it's, it, it's a currency. If everything falls apart, it's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, when you look at the highest inflation years in this country's history, it was in the 1980s and gold had the worst performance. Its standard deviation or its level of volatility is out the roof.
1: It's worse than stock.
0: It's worse than stocks. Its gold has a worse, worse volatility record than the stock market and a lower return. Basically, inflation—that's it. You basically break even after inflation. You do better in treasury bills. Well, I don't know if you do better in treasury bills. They just downgraded
1: the U.S. debt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yes. might be. Okay, <laughs> right, so you're, here, look, Peter Schiff, right? Yes, October twenty fifth, twenty twelve. October twenty fifth, twenty twelve.
0: October. Hang on, hang on. Oct- let me let me let me pull up that date. Yeah. Uh of course my uh, computer's frozen, so I can't pull up that date. Oh, that's such a sad thing. All right, go ahead. Just go ahead.
1: All right. Gold to five thousand dollars an ounce in two years. Gold's at nineteen hundred right now.
0: Oh, gold was gonna go to five thousand. I don't even need to pull this up on no, no. my, my computer, do I?
1: July 26, twenty fourteen. Gold can go to five or ten thousand dollars an ounce. What? December eighteenth. What planet? <laughs> December eighteenth, twenty fifteen. Yeah, gold is still going to five thousand dollars. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah, let's yeah, see. yeah
0: okay, so I, okay, I think. So here's
1: my point. Ugh. Okay. If Peter Schiff, he's sixty years old. hmm If he lives long enough. He may see it at $5,000 an ounce. I don't know, man. That's,
0: um, (laughs) if it basically goes, you know, it's going to be like the Twilight Zone episode where, you know, where they basically learned ways to manufacture gold in the episode and then it wasn't worth anything.
1: But you know what? Here's the problem though. Maybe like diamonds. You know, these these statements he made on CNBC. Yeah. And people watch CNBC and because these guys are wearing $2,000 suits, they think that these guys know what they're talking about.
0: I don't know if they really know that we're talking about. I, I think it's
1: no, no. I'm not saying the guys on CNBC oh, only know you, that they I'm that saying they don't. The people, okay. If you didn't, oh, think,
0: I, I'm with you. The, the listeners, right? Think. Okay. The I listeners. thought you meant the people because I think the, I think many times the people on the TV station they know that they're full of it because they, I have seen them say, "Hey, you you said this is going to happen, and this is what really happened." I've seen them do that a number of times to their credit.
1: Right, but my point being this. If you don't think these guys know what they're talking about, are you going to sit there and watch it?
0: No. Well, okay. yes, yes,
1: because it's fun.
0: <laughs> because you want to see commercials. Because oh, you know, it's not a laugh. I mean, it's like you know, I, I I get bored and I need to laugh at something.
1: All right, but you see, you're you're watching it to laugh because because you're watching it from a different position. I, I'm, using, I'm
0: trying to get I'm trying to get stuff for the radio show. Right.
1: <laughs> you're, so you're watching it from a very very different position. Yeah, man. That's exactly than most it. of the people who watch it.
0: Yeah, I, I know, I know that, I know yeah. that. I've been, but I've been picking on that stuff for twenty two years, I guess and they're that. still on there. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know.
1: They have a good gig.
0: I don't know how it's. Uh, they got a really good gig. I don't know how they do it. So uh, there was a question somebody was asking about investing in bricks. No, not bricks as in what you make a house out of. Bricks as in. No, I thought people stopped talking about this altogether with as bad as BRICS had done, but apparently there's somebody out there still talking about that. I'm not sure who, but, uh, but it's basically investing in funds that, that track Brazil, Russia, Russia, India, China. And then now you have S in the South very original Africa. in South Africa it used to not be that, 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 that was included, but now that's being included in it. And, um, you know, people look at these, and here's the here's one of the things you're looking at. You're looking at, this, they say, these are up-and-coming economies, right? Anytime you invest in emerging markets. Now, when I invest, I want to be, like, really well-mixed. I want to be in large companies. I want to have... You know, the big companies, and some people think, you oh, know, really, really great big company, and I like their products, they're really good, and, and what they do is phenomenal work, and they have great products, and you think, that's what I want to invest in. I mean, right? I mean, that's what I want to invest in. That's good stuff, right? Think of it this way, always. Would a really great company want to pay you more to use your money than another company? No. Oh, that's, there's no reason. So looking at great companies, and investing in what you perceive as being a great company is not really a great investment plan. But that's what people do when they buy individual stocks. Mm-hmm. Yep. When you do even that, they, you do an exercise, Ira, to Talk about that exercise you do.
1: Even, well, even when they buy mutual funds, they're mostly investing in large growth mutual funds. But you do
0: an exercise, name a company. Um, Name a company. Any company. Uh, what do you, what comes? The first thing that comes to your mind. Facebook. Facebook. All right. What do you think?
1: Uh, let's go with Target.
0: All right. Excellent. Now guess what? You didn't choose that company. That company chose you. Mm-hmm. Because you didn't think of the Tasty Baking Company. It didn't come to your mind, right? But you look at it and say, a really small company wouldn't likely come to your mind because you don't even know about them. But heck, I wanted to own—I wanted to own Microsoft when Bill Gates was still working in the garage. You know, that's when I wanted to own that. I wanted to own Apple when Apple was just nothing. I wanted to own Amazon when nobody knew what the heck, and they thought that was a forest, a rainforest. You know, they didn't think of it as a place that you went shopping. You know, that's what I want to own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reminds me of Forrest Gump. No, I fruit. I got this fruit company. <laughs> you know, Apple. Yeah. But you know, here's here's what happens: is these big companies. They, they, you know, so if we look at emerging markets, and people think, "Wow, emerging markets—that ought to be a great place to go invest," because that's emerging and that's where the future is. You may be right, but the problem that you run into is that those countries, you're an American citizen, may not protect your property rights. You may own stock in China or Russia, but do you really think they're going to fight and claw and scratch to make sure that they protect your right to the ownership of that asset that is domiciled in their country? Not necessarily. And that is the problem. So what happens if we look at this BRICS, they're talking about bricks to be, be better place to, well, this person actually says in Reuters, the bricks may be better off disbanding than expanding. And they're talking, you know, so you know, literally you look at that and go, well, you know, what's going on there? Well, a lot of these countries, their growth has been anemic at best. It hasn't been good at all. And it's due to a lot of things that we didn't expect. That nobody could have expected, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Nobody. Yeah. These companies were affected by coronavirus and have not recovered. And war. And war.
0: And you look at China and go, well, there are a lot of people that uh, are going out well, or just not necessarily sure that we trust you guys anymore. Where they used to be the world's manufacturing base, you know, even Australia. And in China, we're just incredibly well-connected with each other. And Australia is kind of like going, eh, we don't know necessarily if we trust you a whole lot. And then you look at Russia, and we all know what's going on there. Now, India, you can make a case that it's a pretty big, big economy. You know, there, it's really interesting. If you look, there's, there's this little circle. And it encompasses like lower China, you know, parts of India, and it's over there in in Europe. If you ever look at this, it's it's wild. You look over there and you look at circle and you look at over half the world's population. And you'll notice that over half the world's population is in this tiny circle. In this tiny circle over in that area. Why? You know why? Because they grow rice and rice is nutrient dense. That's why it's just a wild. Absolutely means nothing else for anybody. But you know, it's just a little piece of trivia that I just thought I'd share with you. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.